What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 24 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston, and my co-host who will be joining us shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. In this week's episode, we are going to help a listener figure out what snare drum should come with his 1966 vintage Ludwig Hollywood model drum set. In our Shop Talk section, Mike and I will discuss our preferred setup for miking a snare drum. We'll talk about the mic that we choose, we'll talk about EQ, and we'll talk about compression. Now, the drummer we're covering this week may be somebody you've never heard of, but David Sandstrom's band, Refused, has had a massive impact on the hardcore scene in the past, and they're doing it all over again. In our gear review section, we'll check out a couple 15-inch snare drums from the Buyer Company, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Episode 24 is here. We have tons of stuff to talk about. Mr. Dawson, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. This is our last uh, remote uh, podcast until NAM, so then we'll do one live. We still haven't talked about Oof. what to do for it. Oof, in person. Well, I think it would be great to to do something either on Thursday or Friday and do kind of a you know a favorites of NAM. Just let people inside what we saw, what really stuck out to us. Um, because I know for me, by the time that we do the next podcast, which would be really when you should review NAM, I won't remember anything that happened. Yeah, for sure. And I'll have I'll still be waiting for everyone to come back with all the little literature and stuff. Yeah, let's do that. What, we probably just have to do a Thursday in order to get the show out on Friday. So, yeah, do that, that. That, that sounds great. It, it would be it'll be cool. I'm I'm really excited to see all the new stuff, and I think this year I'll be paying way more attention to, especially because of this podcast. But I'll be paying way more attention to the boutique companies, knowing that we've kind of left that drum assembler world behind, yeah. and now the indie companies are actually making their own shells or doing something to add to the sound rather than just the look. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, and I've got to do the opposite. I've got to pay more attention to the the larger guys cuz I To the big boys. Yeah, cuz I just I love I love when I meet a guy who the guy I meet at the show is the one who makes the drums. That's just yeah, my, yeah. my aesthetic. So I have a tendency to be like, well, the Ludwig booth is gigantic. I'm not going to go over there very long. They're going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I need to spend but a But no, you kind of forget, you know, every once in a while I'll be doing the NAM show walking around and I'll just smack into like all 640,000 square feet of the Pearl booth and I'm like, oh my God, yeah. you guys still make drums. Like <laughs> right. a lot of them and really good drums, you yeah. know, <laughs> it's like, geez, I, I, you just kind of forget. And then especially nowadays, uh, for those of you guys that have been to NAM in the past but haven't been recently, so many of the companies are moving upstairs, so they're not on that show floor anymore. Yeah. So if you're at the NAM show, you just kind of think, well, I guess Gretsch stopped making drums and Meinl doesn't make cymbals. And it's like now they're just a floor up so they can do their business. You know? Yeah, Pearl, DW, Gretsch. Who else is upstairs? I think that might be it. Well, Meinl, I don't know. What, what's their deal? Are they doing the no one can come in room again? No, no, they, they, I think they learned their lesson. Yeah, uh, that was pretty rough. It was, it was huge for business because they could actually get business done. So they did a ton of business and so it was good on paper, but I just felt kind of like, wow, you know, what kind of hit did you take on a public level of people just thinking you didn't even attend the show? Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that stuff can really be a trickle down effect where maybe it affects the business three years from now as people just took that one year to be like, well, I guess I'll take a look at Zildjian or Sabian or, yep. or some of the smaller companies. So, yeah, so they will be upstairs this year, but it will be open to the public. Okay. Yeah, they used to have two booths downstairs and they were a pretty dominant force down there. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, to them, they, you know, their thing was they were doing most of their business after NAM. They were actually, at some point, I think they were even flying in dealers to Nashville to do the NAM business either the week before or the week after NAM. 
because they knew that the the that they knew that Nam was just a showcase for the customers. Yeah. It, it had become that. And it's tough. It's really hard for people to understand. I've had people call me this week asking, like, hey, I want to present my stuff to an AR at Nam. What 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 do you think the best way to do that is? And I'm like, the best way to do that is to don't even think about doing that. Yeah. yeah. That is the exact opposite reason these people are here. They're only here for one reason. They are showing their new line of gear to companies or to stores that can buy the gear. That's yeah. the only reason they're there. I shouldn't be there you know, unless I'm specifically standing by a booth for the whole day talking about a certain piece of gear. I don't really have a role there, you know. So, it's kind of now it, obviously I'm being very extreme about this, but it, it's not what most people think it is. They think like, "Well, I'm going to go real quick meet Jojo Mayer. We'll schedule a gig together. We'll do a clinic run. Yeah. Then I'm going to after that, I'm going to go yeah. over and I'll talk to Weckel and he'll give me some pointers on technique. And then I'm just going to go pick up a Zildjian endorsement. Should be a good day at Nam. It's yeah. like, oh, it's so not how it's going to go. No, it's such a fleeting uh, interaction with everyone because you know that everyone's got to hurry to the next thing. I mean, I'm there to yeah. report on the show so i feel bad when i'm like shorting hang time with my friends and artists but it's like dude i i really am happy to see you i gotta go you know and that's that's all weekend that's everybody oh yeah yeah it never stops and if i have to do something somebody will say okay we need you at the gretsch booth at 2 p.m and i'm on the nam floor at noon that's when i start walking to the gretsch booth and it will take me two hours to get there because You stop every five minutes to talk to somebody, and then the worst is when you know you kind of know somebody, but you can't remember how, and you're trying to steal a look at their badge to find out <laughs> what their name is, but they keep looking you dead in the eyes, so you can't look down at their badge. <laughs> that's that's like, me all day long, brother. <laughs> I was going to say, that has to be you, right? Yeah, and it's, it's always the, like, oh, here's, and, and, you know, there's always the people that I only see at NAMM, so it's there's not right. there's not much to talk about. It's like, hey, good to see you. What have you been doing since last NAMM? Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for stopping by. And then there, there'll always be like the, oh man, did you see the booth? You know, did you see the the new Remo thing? And it's like, uh huh, yeah, I saw yeah. That. that's cool. <laughs> it's it's an amazing thing. I, I think Nam is much better in the eleven and a half months in between every Nam. Like you build it up in your head as like, yeah. oh man, you know. And then you get there and you're like, why do I always schedule myself to be here for three days? I could <laughs> literally be here for twenty eight minutes, make one round, and go home. Yeah. Well, well you can. I can't. <laughs> yeah, that's true. True. Sorry. But yeah, I'll, I'll be there uh, Thursday and Friday. So for any of our listeners, please, if you see me, even though we're kind of making fun of the interactions, if you see me, please come up, say hi, chat. I will give you every ounce of time that I have and definitely stop by the Modern Drummer booth, talk to Mike, and then we will get our podcast done on Thursday. So yeah, cool, cool stuff. All right. Well, let's get into a listener question. This one comes from Tristan Kelly, and uh, he just got a new kit. So here's his question. I really, this is going to Mr. Dawson. I really respect your insane gear knowledge on the MD podcast and was wondering if you could help me out. My wife got me this 1966 Ludwig kit for Christmas. This is my first real piece of vintage drum gear. From my research, I think it's a Hollywood model. I can't find anything definitive on whether this, these kits came with a snare or not. Could you give me any insight on what type of snare would most commonly be paired with this set? I don't want to get too OCD about things, but I would like to have an authentic snare to match the kit. Thanks very much. So that's from Tristan Kelly, and I spoke to him yesterday on the phone. Just wanted to reach out to him and check in with him. He's a killer drummer, by the way. And he said that his wife got it at, like, a, it was, I think, stored in a church for a really long time since the 60s. So it's almost new. And she got it for about $100. Unbelievable. <laughs> Pretty cool, man. <laughs> Pretty cool. I was like, well, there you go. Unbelievable. <laughs> that's that's the, the best part about vintage gear when someone doesn't 
someone has it maybe from like a family member that passed away or something, they think the heads represent the quality of the gear. Yeah. So they'll say, yeah, this thing is wrecked. And you look at it and it's pristine, but it's just got a wrecked head. And you're like, oh, well, those heads are almost $8. Yeah. I will, you know, <laughs> you're right. This thing is toast. Uh, and I'm you feel sure terrible, they're happy to get rid of it too, you know. Totally. totally. Yeah, it's a win-win. They're like, can you believe we got $100 for this thing? <laughs> so any insight on that, buddy? Yeah, well, when I read it, the first my first instinct was it definitely came with a Superphonic, a 5x14. I mean, maybe maybe not stock but a drummer who played this kit would have had a 5x14 uh Ludaloy Superphonic. So I went back and looked through some catalogs. Did uh, you say Ludaloy? Ludaloy, which is what they called their aluminum. I guess there was like a bad rep for aluminum back then. So they just So they had to change the name. They just called it Ludaloy. Some <laughs> secret awesome. some secret special metal that's the that aluminum. Is awesome. <laughs> now is that the same metal that the Acrolyte's made out of? Oh yeah, you get an Acrolyte now it's going to say Ludaloy inside. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> Sorry, Ludwig, just bursted your secret. It's aluminum. <laughs> that's okay. Sorry, Gretch, it's radiator paint, not silver sealer. <laughs> yeah, right. Your secret okay. recipe. Uh, so anyway, I looked through some catalogs, and I found the Hollywood setup that would have been sold from 1959 to 1974, which is funny because in the photo they show it with a matching wood snare. But mm. the listing says starting in 1966, I had a 5x14 Superphonic. Which that Dang. that's the drum that that everyone was using at that time. That's the drum that defined rock and roll. Um, that's the one I would if I was going to get a snare to match it. I would try to find a same era, sixty six, sixty seven, uh, Superphonic. Tracking them down, yeah, like Dawson. And that would be the love one it. with like love a it. Keystone badge, not the Blue Olive badge. So okay, perfect. Well, there you go, Tristan. You are set now. Yep. Just uh, you got a $100 kit, and you're about to invest 800 in a vintage snare. Fantastic. <laughs> do you have any idea? I mean, this is uh, – I should have asked you this earlier, but do you have any idea how much that kind of snare would go for on eBay? Are they crazy expensive, or no, are they totally no, affordable no. like the Acrolytes? You could find one, if you're lucky, 250 If Okay. Average, probably around a 300 range. Nice. That will be great. He, he has a, a killer DW kit, which I was telling him on the phone yesterday. That gives him his full – complete modern in your face clarity sound yeah and i said between that and a 66 ludwig Done. you know you're set you have you have it covered yeah so i think i think he's in a, in a very good place cool and we have another question that you got from buck right yeah buck august he he was surprised by my snare drum choices in the last episode um so he wanted to know if if i wasn't factoring in your choices would my choices have been different Right, because if you guys weren't listening to the last episode, um, Mike picked his two snare drums based off of him and I doing a session together. So I had already kind of covered the basis of standard maple snare drum, standard brass snare drum, and then he added to that mix. So Buck was saying kind of like, well, what if Mike wasn't in the picture? What if you just never had to see Mike Johnston again? That's what Buck was saying. (laughs) Right, right. That's fine. So forget about him. What would you pick? (laughs) Yeah, so it's again, it's funny because it's like like a, a... a Rubik's cube that that it can go any different ways in order to solve it. So, I would say, if there's one drum that I could only use for the rest of my life, if that was the question, it would be as I just said, the five by fourteen Superphonic. Really, that would That's be your jam because it can do every like the just given my what I have to do, which is I have to play jazz, I have to play hard rock, I have to do a studio sessions, I have to play a wide range of volumes and styles. That's the one drum that I know can do all of that. 
So I would start there because that's Steve Gadd used one. Uh, Carlton Barrett used one with Bob Marley. Zigaboo used one with the meters. Uh, it's still number one choice for Nashville Session guys. It's on Jimi Hendrix records. So it's kind of the sound. It's the snare jump sound that defined the modern era of rock and roll. And jazz. Joe Morello used one. A lot of guys used them. So, And I have one on my jazz kit, and it sounds like Elvin Jones. So Elvin Jones probably used one at one point. Wow, man. That's but, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I don't even have mine yet, and I think that that's what Mark, Juliana, and I were trying to create with Gretsch. And we are trying to create, like, what is the one, the standard snare? I mean, we were, we were literally going to call it, maybe we still will, we were going to call it the Brooklyn Standard because we just wanted to have that classic snare drum sound that, I, I mean this in a very positive way, was kind of generic. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't too artsy. It wasn't to anything. And and that was a big deal for Mark, too. He was saying, man, I always want to be the person creating the art. I don't want my gear to be creating the art. Yeah. And and because he was saying in New York, he's like, I don't even take a drum set anywhere. I take my cymbals, maybe, but yeah. that's about it. So I have to be able to be Mark Juliana on any kit that I sit on. So we were trying to create a very standard snare. And, I, and then DW um, purchased the distribution to Gretsch and everything got kind of weird with the people we're working with. And now that it's all kind of settled down, uh, especially after Nam, I'll be really excited for Mark and I to pick those talks up again and try to create that that very standard snare drum where we could say, okay, just start your collection here, yeah. kind of like what you would have with that Ludwig, and then then you can get as weird as you want from there. Yeah, and the thing it's it all comes down to what what type of music you play, what type of a sound. Like I I wouldn't choose a wood drum as my go to because I know it's not going to have enough brightness for really loud stuff, or, or it's not going to have the right. Like some guys really like that kind of metal Kang when you're recording, yeah. like that, and you just can't yeah. get that out of some wood drums. So correct. That's why well, I have it, to go there. You know, and for me, I have to. I don't get to be selfish and pick the drum for myself. I have to pick it for what is going to be the best drum for you know thousands of students because they're probably going to whatever I end up playing, they're probably going to buy it. Yeah. Especially the newer drummers that don't know really where to start. They haven't developed their own sound, and they go, "Okay, well, I'll just start with whatever Mike gets." So I have to think of that going in and think, okay, what would be best for my students that play rock, that want to play jazz, want to play funk? What's a very versatile snare? So that's why we were trying to create that standard snare drum sound. And we and we actually, the, we both got prototypes of it, and it is the snare that is on the new David Bowie single that Mark played on. It doesn't suck. It does not. And uh, we're, we were very close to releasing it, and then everything got kind of weird, so now we'll probably restart it up. But I, the good thing about getting a re kind of a refresh with it is Mark and I can now talk to Gretchen and say, let's try it in brass. Let's try it in this. Yeah. Let's try it with the 50, you know, strand throw off all that kind of stuff. So cool. Yeah. Well, good stuff. Well, we're going to move into some shop talk now. And even the shop talk, I think listeners are going to take over our podcast. Cause even <laughs> our shop talk is kind of a question from a listener, but it's a, it's a topic that we need to discuss. Fine by me. And, uh, bring them on. Absolutely. It helps us with creating our content. Yeah. MD info yeah. at moderndrummer.com or uh, some of these came via Facebook on the Modern Drummer page. You can just comment below the post for the podcast. Uh, all that awesome. stuff comes straight to me. Sweet. So this one comes from Jared Princely, and he was asking about our preferred snare mic setups. And I thought this would be a good chance for us to talk about the entire workflow of our snare drum setups rather than just the microphone. I wanted to talk about the mic, the position of the mic, 
what kind of EQ recipes you're using, what kind of compression recipes you're using, uh, and anything else that might go into the mix. You know, I, I'm not a big outboard gear guy, so but maybe you are. Maybe you use specific pre- preamps. I don't know. So why don't you run us through what you're using generally on your snare mic? Okay, my setup is deliberately very consumer grade oriented stuff. So I don't I don't have any two thousand dollar mic pre's. I don't have APIs. I don't have Neves. I have really kind of outdated consumer grade stuff. I use uh, M Audio Octane pre's, which back when I bought that, you could get eight pre's for like eight hundred bucks, and that's that's a hundred dollars a pre is ridiculous when you can pay two thousand dollars for an API. Now, just for our students out there or our customer listeners, what the hell are these people? <laughs> friends. <laughs> people they're our friends, this, Mike. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, man. I live in a hobbit hole by myself in Folsom Lake. I don't ever see human beings. I, I talk to a camera. I don't talk to real people. Okay, so for our friends out there that don't know, pre's are pre-amps. They are what is amplifying the sound that's coming from your microphone and giving it you know, its sound. And those those can color the sound. That's why Mike's mentioning it's not Neve pre's. It's not these two thousand dollar pre's. They can color the sound, and so what he's saying is he has, he doesn't have preamps that are changing the sound of the mic or sweetening it in any way. Yeah, they're basic consumer grade, completely, from what I can tell, transparent. There's nothing, you know, the drum it just signal goes straight through them into my computer. So I'll back up and go through the whole chain. So I start with um, an SM, Shure SM57 on the top. Um, and I also tape an MXL 603 or a 604, whichever is available, to the side of that. So I tape. So I got the SM57 to kind of capture the mid range and the and the, the strong attack. But a SM57 by itself is doesn't capture any of the low end or any of the really good high end. So if I'm trying to demo a snare and I have just an SM57 on it, you're, it's going to sound like a snare drum to an SM57 every right. single time. There's no. There's really very little difference. It's a great sound. It's what everyone uses. But for for demo purposes, I need to add the small diaphragm condenser to capture a lot of the low end and a lot of the high end. And I tape it to the side of the SM57 that's furthest away from the hi-hat. So the SM57 acts as a little bit of a barrier, so you're not getting tons of bleed into that second mic. So those are on top, and I start by positioning them about three fingers widths above the drum, so maybe an inch and a half to two inches above the drum, and pointing basically at the center of the drum. Now, all of that, and it'll be right over the, the hoop. I actually use the, uh, I think Big Bang Distribution makes these mic holders that are chromed arms that attach to your snare basket. Okay. So there's no extra stand. It just comes around the drum and has this chrome arm, and it puts it in the same consistent spot every time. So the capsules are aligned, and they're positioned right above the hoop, aimed at the center of the drum, maybe inch and a half, two inches above. Now that... The height will change depending if I want to get more overtones or less overtones. So if a drum is super duper ringy, I'll raise the mics a little bit. If the drum okay. is sounding like there's it, there's no body, there's no tone, I'll, I'll lower them a little bit. So that's that's where I'm using mic placement to kind of get me the most representative sound of what the drum actually sounds like in the room. And on the bottom, I use uh, I actually use a Shure uh, Beta 98, which is those little clip-on condensers. That usually yep. you see them on toms. I put that on the bottom because I just had an extra one, and it was giving me the condenser would give me gives me a little bit more brightness. That if I just used an SM57, it would just be kind of a dull, snary sound. Right. I'm trying to capture this drum as as the you know the most hi-fi as possible, without having to do a ton of of EQ and stuff. 
So those are my mics, SM57 taped to a MXL603 or a 604. And I use that mic because they're very cheap. And when you put a condenser on a snare drum, it, inevitably you're going to blow it out eventually. So I wouldn't Got put it. a you know a two thousand dollar microphone on the snare drum and then I mean the, the one that had a six of four that blew out but it lasted like five years. So after like oh, wow. after like okay. five years of maybe an hour and a half of recording a day, on average, maybe let's say maybe three hours a week of use, it blew out. Okay. So I now have a six hundred three. That's essentially the same mic, just a different series. I'm not sure what the, what the exact difference is, but I think it might be like a hundred dollar mic, maybe. Okay, sure. You know, sure. tape to it. So that's why I do that. So those are the mics, and then they're all going through M Audio Octane Pre's uh, straight into Ableton Live, which is my recording software. Nice. And nice. as far well, as I don't use any upward compression, any upward EQ um, in Ableton Live, I do add. EQ to each channel, and I just go through and sweep around and try to find the funkiest sounds that the microphones are causing, okay. and then delete, just pull them down a few dB. So yeah. I might, I'll, I'll roll off the low end on almost all of them because anything below 60 hertz is just, you're just hearing bass drum. You're not actually yeah. hearing the drum. So I'll roll that off, and then I'll kind of find some stuff in the 250 range or the 350 range that's, it's really gnarly, and it's all created because the microphone is so close to the drum. So I'll just pull those down 3 dB or whatever until until it starts to, again, sound like a natural balanced snare as if you were hitting it in the room. And that's basically it. And then, nice. I mean, there might be some compression just to keep it from peaking, to just bring the overall level up, but nothing to really But not to it. change the sound and get that compressed yeah, no, smack. No, it's, it's just, to keep, just to rein it in. So if I hit a rim shot and then I follow it with a bunch of softer notes that you, you hear everything. You got to be able to hear right. all, all the notes, but that's it. That's basically. Nice. It. I mean, there's a lot more involved because the overheads pick up the snare drum and the room mics pick up the snare drum. But exactly, yeah. I think it'd be kind of cool at some point for us both to show off our snares with close mic only, and then fade the room mics in so yeah. that people can see how much of our sound. Because you and I both get a very natural, non-processed sound, or that's what we're going for, right? And uh, I think people would be surprised at how much of our sound is actually coming from our overheads or our room mics. Um, yeah, the, yeah, the snare mics themselves, can, they can sound – I mean, they're just so close to the drum. So if you put your ear next to a drum and even hit it lightly, it's just like <laughs> wong, wong. Exactly. <laughs> I try to tell people that all the time when, you know, like – when they're miking and then they're like, I don't get it. Like my drum sounds great. And I'm like, dude, your head is nine feet away from the drum. <laughs> Go put your head where that microphone is. And then you'll hear why it sounds like that in the studio, you yeah. know? Uh, and same thing with even my room mic setup. I mean, it definitely, I prefer overheads as far as quality of sound, but with my room mics directly behind me at head level, they're actually hearing what my ears are hearing. And it's a little bit more of an honest sound. Now, the reason I have it that way is for cameras. Yeah. I would prefer to have it as overheads. But I've when you listen to a drum through an overhead, it's like, well, when do you ever stand over your drum set like that? Like never. So yeah. that's not how I'm actually hearing my drum set anyways. So I don't I don't feel too bad about it and like I said, it's just something where because we have so many cameras in here, the the mic stands get in the way, but I still do prefer the sound of overheads instead of the way that I have it set up. Now, as far as my snare setup, I am using. I only use one mic. I'm using the uh, Audio Technica ATM650. I love that mic. It's a little more transparent than an SM57, 
And I believe it costs more too. So it's not that it's a better mic or a worse mic. I mean, the SM57, I use that forever. And I think the reason why most people use it isn't even for sound as much as it's for durability. Yeah, it's just smack it. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to hit your mic eventually. Yeah. And that thing, that thing can take some punishment. So I use the ATM650 Audio Technica and very transparent mic. I have it probably positioned almost the same as you. I don't put the, the, the mic itself going past the rim a lot of people like have it three or four inches maybe two or three inches into the drum mine is right at the rim and then same thing as you i raise it up or raise it down but that's about it i don't go more in i do have right underneath the mic on the head or at about the same spot that's where i put my my moon gel or my buzz kill that's where i put my dampening kind of takes out some of the sound that's going into uh yamaha uh o1v uh, mixing board that Dave Weckl made famous by yeah. deciding not to let the front of house mix for him anymore. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so I have that board. Uh, so I'm going into that. So those are the pre's I'm using. And as far as my EQ, I definitely I don't boost anything very much. I mean, I get a little more since I'm not using a bottom mic. I get a little more snap around 2K, 2000 hertz. Um, yeah. So I boost like 2K and 5K, maybe 3 dB at the most. But the biggest thing I do to color the sound for my snare drum and for the room that I'm in, and keep in mind, I'm not demoing gear. I actually get to make the snare sound how I want for personal taste rather than for demoing purposes, would be that I, I drop quite a bit of 475, like the mid-range. Yeah. Pong, like yeah. I just I think in drums in general, somewhere between 400 and 500 hertz, there's nothing good happening. Yeah. Yeah, and all like toms, kick, snare, everything. It's a, a horrible good, frequency. A good buddy of mine who who engineered tons of disco hits back in the seventy. He he had an EQ that he like covered up all the buttons so you couldn't see what it was, and it just said Insta Kick. <laughs> so he would hit the button, and it was like instant disco kick. And all it was was it pulled out all of two hundred and fifty hertz. Really, just completely annihilated. It just took it all out. <laughs> so he would go to the studio and just hit Insta Kick, and there it was. And everybody's like, oh, my God, you're a genius. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? It's, oh, man, I built that box myself. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you, for, for people that are kind of new to EQing, if you want to know what to take out, the way you find out what to take out is by putting it in. Like Mike was saying, like raise 475 all the way to the max. Raise 600 hertz all the way to the max. And then you'll hear this horribly annoying frequency. Yeah. And you'll go, yeah, that's what I want to get rid of. So, um, but yeah, I have a very simple snare setup, and I, you know, I mean, it it just sounds like a snare drum. So I don't I don't go too crazy. But once again, just like you, most of my snare sound is actually coming from my room mics. I would say that uh, if if my room mics were set at ten, you know, like levels one to ten, if they were the ten, my snare mic would, would probably be at the four or five. Mm. It's much lower than my room mic. So that's just. You know, all of this stuff is personal preference. You have to play around with this stuff, so yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, cool. And I and I, and I I haven't. I was going to mention I haven't noticed a massive difference in jumping up to that crazy expensive snare mic. Like a snare mic needs they they don't make that super expensive snare mic because, like you said, it has to have a, a high SPL. Yeah. So you need a high sound pressure level microphone that can handle having you know, a hundred decibels thrown at it all day long and being smacked around. So I think that that's kind of, you know, having a probably what's a, what do you think an SM 57 runs for? Like 150 bucks? No, bucks? no, it's under that. You could probably get is it. Really? I, at one time they were 79 bucks. They might be 90 wow. bucks now. 
Yeah. I mean, everyone so should I would probably s- have four or five of them. Because you can, yeah, you can do, use them on toms. They sound great. You can even throw one inside a bass drum, and it, it'll yep. work. Because really, the Beta 52 is just a modified 57. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> just with a big old case around it, so it looks like a kick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know what? I think I have taken the, the, the cover off, and it's like, oh, it looks like a 57. Yeah, it's all it is. Just let's look at some EQ curves and stuff. But. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Good stuff, good stuff. Now, um, okay, so we got to all of the questions. So now we can discuss our main topic guy, Mr. David Sandstrom. Now, w- do did you even know who the drummer for Refused was? Because I didn't. No, and you know, I uh, when they kind of came around, I was already given up on rock and roll, and I was a jazz nerd. So okay. I kind of missed that whole influence, and then all I experienced was the aftermath with emo kind of getting really cartoonish yes so unfortunately yeah. refused i mean now going back listening to it i mean it's a badass record but oh it's yeah hard to remove all of the emo baggage from them for me right. personally well i can tell you from living through it in this whole era and this was my era of where i was touring and playing the most the way that it really started was with bands like refused um there was so by the way guys the the album that Mike was talking about is called The Shape of Punk to Come. And that was the album that really brought, brought Refused into the world. And they actually had a video for uh, New Noise. That was the single off it that was on like MTV, which was crazy for a hardcore band. That they actually had an MTV video. So there was this scene that was called Hardcore. And what would happen at the time... So the town that I live in, Sacramento, we had my band, which was called Simon Says. We had another band called Far. Got a record deal. We had Papa Roach, and we had Deftones. So those were that was our core four bands that were always... T- those were the four bands that got major label record deals. Yeah. Well, the way that it would work is every hardcore show would always have at least one singing a band so that it wasn't screaming all night. And that was what became like the emo thing, which obviously is short for emotional, but it wasn't the emo scene. It it was just, there wasn't even a thing called emo. That wasn't even a thing, but it was the band that played hardcore music with a singer rather than a screamer. So that was my band or the Deftones, you know, they would, Chino can scream, but he sings as well. Yeah. Where a hardcore band, the singer generally screams the entire time. And then you got the mix of the two, which became Screamo. So we would play with all these East Coast hardcore bands like Snapcase, Bloodlet, Strife, Refused. And then there would always be my band or Far or Deftones would also be the other band on there. So when Refused came around, it was like, you know, we didn't know where they were from. We didn't know anything about them. It, everyone was asking, "Have you ever seen Refused?" It's like I don't, I don't even know if they tour. Like yeah. no one knew anything. They just, they just showed up as like the. It was almost like the successful hardcore band because, like I said, I mean, you wouldn't see Snapcase or Strife or Earth Crisis on on MTV. So all of a sudden, it was like, how is this hardcore band on MTV? This is insane. And then out of nowhere, they were gone. Yeah. completely gone, wiped <laughs> off the face of the earth. It never happened. And and so I never knew who the drummer was because at the same time, and I know you'll know this guy, we had the in-between bands like Helmet with John Stanier. Yeah. Uh, that it was like, okay, is this hardcore? Is this emo? What is this? This isn't rock. This isn't yeah. like Foo Fighters. Um, and, and that was – and Refused was a part of that scene. And then they were just gone all of a sudden. And then – they just uh, they did some touring in 2012, and then they just came out with a new album called Freedom. And 
man, it is it is where it's really cool. It's because I mean I think we can all agree that animals as leaders, periphery, that style, that's some extremely advanced rock for a kid to be listening to. Yeah. You know, yeah. there every every generation needs angst music. So every generation, our parents needed the Rolling Stones to get it out. You know, we needed Quiet Riot or whatever, and then after that, it was Deftones and stuff. Well. And I, I think Animals as Leaders, that type of stuff, which I love, by the way, and I love the drumming, it's pretty advanced stuff. And sometimes you just need some straight-up rock. And the new album from Refused, which, like I said, is called Freedom. It came out in July of this year. It's just amazing. It's fantastic. And it still holds true to its hardcore roots. So so you weren't at the club with the uh, black X's on your hands and no, the uh, straight-edge no. jacket? No, not I mean, I did that whole <laughs> scene, but that would have been like – that would have been before they came around. That would have been okay. like mid-'90s. Because that was a yeah. time when everyone was, you know, renting VFW halls, and and what we would have would be, it was really when like alternative music took over. So, we we would have shows where it'd be like a hardcore like skinhead punk band, a sure. long haired metal band that played thrash. We would have like my band, which is kind of more of a Red Hot Chili Peppers type of sound, and it'd be and there'd be like a Stray Cats kind of a hillbilly punk band. It'd be all this different music Mix. blending together. Yeah. It was all kind of under the the aesthetic of young young punk mentality. Everything was kind of that vibe, but the whole the next phase of that is when I I'd moved to college and I was in music school and I wasn't going to rock shows anymore. I was going to see Jeff Watts and Bill Stewart and guys like that. Right. So I missed all of that um I mean the Deftones I was into, but everything after that, that whole next wave, like Helmet was huge for me, but that was that was early 90s. Yep. Yeah, but everything from like '97 to the 2000s, I just didn't even know it existed. It's, you know, looking that's probably back why we weren't friends. That's probably <laughs> why, why you never covered my band. Thanks a lot. I submitted like nine letters, just hoping one day to be in the pages of Modern Drummer magazine. I was trying to be Brian Blade, man. <laughs> I know, man. And I was, I was, I was up on, I was sitting up on the drum riser with John Otto at the Limp Biscuit show, just being like, man, this snare drum. Is very loud for having fifty plies. <laughs> oh goodness gracious! It's so funny because then as soon as I was done with that and I finally got that out of my system, first thing I did was go to Yoshi's and watch Tane play with Bramford and yeah, you know, yeah. It, it, it was like okay. And I gotta say, I, I think I maybe have mentioned this on the podcast before, but I have to say, huge love to Steve Gillis. And if you guys don't know who Stephen Gillis is, he was the drum set player for Filter for two of their albums and a lot of touring. And we went out on tour with Filter for quite a while. And every town that we would get to that was a hip town, we get to Manhattan or somewhere in Chicago, when when all the band would go out, our band and Filter would go out to party, he would always take me to a jazz club. And he would say, oh, okay, nice. me and you are going to go. and Because that's how that's how Filter found him. He was, He's a jazz cat from Chicago. And he was playing in it in a jazz gig that uh, Filter went down the street. The, what had happened was their drummer had just, I don't know if you remember this, but it was, uh, oh, I can't remember his name, but he, he he took over for the Smashing Pumpkins for the Grammys. And, oh, wow. And they were really upset about it. Like, okay, you want to go play with the Smashing Pumpkins? No problem. Now we're going to get a new drummer. And, you know, and he's like, whoa, 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 it's just one gig. But oh, anyway, was that so. Walker? Was that Mark Walker or Matt Walker? Matt Walker. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So he he did the Smashing Pumpkins fill in thing, and when when they got rid of Jimmy Chamberlain for a while, and so anyways, Filter went down to the bar to discuss what they were going to do, and 
there was Steve Gillis playing a jazz gig, and he had the look. He was in all black, and he's yeah. just a you know good looking young cat. And they were like, "Dude, do you want to go to Paris tomorrow?" <laughs> That's and, amazing. And so yeah, and I remember you know very first show, he's like trying to figure out, "Hey man, nice shot on stage in Paris" because we were out there with him. <laughs> And I'm like, dude, have you never heard this album? He's like, I don't even know who Filter is. I'm a jazz guy. So anyways, I, I really lucked out that he became my big brother on tour. And like I said, as soon as we would get to Manhattan, he'd say, okay, tell the guys you're not going out. You're going out with me, and I'm going to take you to the clubs. That's and cool. Really cool stuff. So back to Refused, I want to talk real quick about David Sandstrom. So he's totally – sounds like a self-taught drummer, but what I really love about his article is he's talking about – and this is, uh, by the way, guys, in the February issue of Modern Drummer. He's talking about how he doesn't care about drums, doesn't care about gear, doesn't care about even the fact that he's playing a clear pinstripe head on his piccolo snare and it's got wrinkles <laughs> in it. And he's like – I. he literally talks about like, I don't care at all. I sit down and I play the hell out of the drums and I that's it. Yeah. And and I don't want to care. And I love that because we're so gear obsessed right now. And we're so obsessed with how everything looks because it's all being filmed and all being put online. And he's just from a different perspective of like, dude, I hit. Yeah. I, I believe <laughs> he's, he said he didn't touch the drums for a couple of years before they got back together. It was just, oh, right, yeah. Let's no, just I, go. I don't doubt it. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. I've actually had that happen with uh, the drummer from Far, the band I mentioned. They, same thing. They, you know, they eventually broke up as a band and then they released uh, a cover of pony by ja rule is it ja rule or anyways it's like a hip-hop song called pony and they covered it and it as a joke and it accidentally became a massive hit their cover of it and they had to get back together so the drummer contacted me he's like dude i've been a lawyer for four years now i, I haven't told you need to make me a video workout session thing like i had to go like p90x on the drums for him to get him back in shape because he's like we're going on tour in two weeks and i'm gonna pull something <laughs> I was yeah, like, no problem. <laughs> yeah like all right let's get you back in shape man so well definitely check out the new album i love the fact that david sandstrom has no desire to become drum famous he just is happy to be playing in his band and to hit things and and I couldn't even tell. It was kind of an honest. I couldn't even tell who wrote the article. Yeah, I was looking all yeah. over. Is that on purpose? Is it not listed? Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. It, it's David uh, uh, David Ciara, one of my good friends, who is a huge Refused fan. So for him, it was like a dream come oh, true. That's uh, so cool. So cool. Oh, no, it's in the intro. We, oh, okay. Yeah. My bad. Typical drummer. I don't pay attention to the details. <laughs> hey, so you know, speaking of, of walking into jazz club and discovering your band, you know that David Bowie found the band for his record by going to the 55 club, 55 bar. 55 bar? Yeah. Really? He just walked in one night and it, and it just happened to be the Donnie McCaslin group. And he, he Wait, is a, that how Mark got the gig? Yeah, he hired the whole band. No way. He just, I think he knew wow. that you know I've got limited time. I need to make this record fast. I want to get the most cutting-edge guys who can go in and just do this record live. And right. he got those guys, went down the 55 bar. I've yet wow. to talk to Mark about it. I, I, it's way too fresh to even approach sure. the subject. But I have a feeling that's what happened. It was just like, all right, I need these guys. Let's go. And then they made the record. Well, I have audio from Mark, and I'm, I'm going to talk – to the producer of the DVD that we're making to see if I can use the audio on the podcast. But so when we were in doing the camp in Ireland, we brought um, a videographer with us and a documentary maker to make a documentary on it. And part of Mark's interview, Mark talks about his experience working with David Bowie. Obviously, this is, you know, uh, a few months ago. So he's just talking about it like 
man, I just had the greatest experience. I got to record an album with David Bowie. And so, uh, but the, the audio is, is haunting because it's, you know, because of what happened. Yeah. But it's really cool to hear Mark's kind of opinion on what it was like to work with him. So I was hoping that maybe I'll, I'll contact Mark and contact Cedric and see if it's okay if we use the audio from that because it's, it's pretty cool, the things that Mark has to say about working with David Bowie because that's as big of a star as you can imagine. So if anybody kind of can be a jerk, it could be somebody like that. And the things that Mark has to say prove the complete opposite. That yeah. He couldn't have been a better human being. So pretty cool stuff. And definitely huge impact on everybody. I mean, we all have limited time here, but if you can have that kind of impact on art, yeah. nothing to be sad about. Yeah, no. That that's is, what people, you know, people who have been really kind of sobbing about it, I'm like, that, of course, you should, you're going to feel upset that he passed. But look at the life this man led. Dude, I mean, from more. day one to, to the end, he was an artist. I mean, he went out like a true rock star. And I kind of, I mean, not to be like overly morbid, but I wouldn't mind leaving around that 68, 69, you know, I don't want to be 94, just <laughs> blind. Just, <laughs> yeah, just pissing myself. Like, I don't, I want to be kind of like, yeah, like I did a gig last night, then I had this clinic and <clears throat> a little something in my throat, boom, I'm done. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, I'm okay with that. I, I think, and like our memories of him, he still looked pretty good, man. In that new video, it's like, he's a stylish cat. So yeah, there's a photo left floating a- around of him wearing an amazing suit like two days before he passed. Yeah, his, he left a great impression on all of us. So very cool stuff. All right, let's get into some gear talk, the gear review section. The Buyer 15-inch snare drums. Now, I was on their website today, and it looks like every snare they make, they offer in a 15. In, it, or it could be exclusively made in a 15. They offer everything, but I, I'm pretty sure that he started the company with the idea of he wanted to get this old 15-inch snare drum vibe which 15s were really popular back in like the early 20th century. And one of uh, the guy I studied big band drumming with, he was Mike Shepard. He was in the, he was a Maynard Ferguson's band in the sixties for a bit. And he was the first guy in the Navy Commodore's big band. He was like the original drummer in that. Wow. And they used 15 inch Ludwig concert drums with the big band. So really? those, yeah. So those recordings of that band with the previous drummer before they were called the Commodores and they were just called like the, the Navy lab band that was Kenny Malone who since went on to Nashville and he's a legendary session percussionist down there. So he was on all these records that, that I would study in my lessons with this guy, Mike Shepard, because they were like friends. I think Mike is a couple years younger than Kenny. So he was kind of like his mentor. Okay. So he would play me these records of this big band and, and the snare drum was ridiculous sounding. It was really super, super clean. If I can find the tapes, I'll, I'll share some audio, but yeah, and he said, yeah, they're like six and a half by 15-inch metal snare drums that they're using oh. with a big band. So there's a certain sound to these drums. And Jim Beyer is the how you pronounce it, Beyer. He's the guy who makes them, and he was going for that, like trying to capture that old classic 15. So he started with a 4 by 15, which was what they made back in the day. Now you can get it in a 5.5, you can get it in a 6.5, you can get it in an 8. And you can also get regular sizes as well, but they're all rolled steel. Um, and he does something with, I don't know, he sends them out to be finished. So there's like a paint on the outside of them. I don't okay. know what it is. It's like a black, one's like a black textured kind of paint. And the other one is like a white, smooth kind of finish. And that I think is a secret sauce. You think the outside paint is the secret I sauce? I definitely think it is. Cause it, it doesn't have the never ending overtone of a steel snare. It doesn't have that really? bright pierce that just goes on forever and ever, which is great if you're playing, like certain styles of music, but it's it 
it, you kind of have to dampen a steel drum. It's hard to leave yeah, of course. completely wide open. And it doesn't have that. It rounds it off, and it, it has a, a a much more like contained punch and snap. They're pretty badass. And I first... <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Yeah, they're pretty, pretty badass. badass. And I first became aware of them by... I followed Tommy Harden on Instagram, and he's a, a Nashville session guy. He was with Reba McIntyre for years, and okay. he's on tons of hit records. And he was like taking pictures of a session with this tiny, skinny, little white drum, but it was 15 inches. It's like, and he was just raving about how everyone loved it, so I I had to check it out. So they sent us the four by fifteen and the five and a half by fifteen. Wow. And are they something that you liked enough where it's like, at some point, one of them might make it into your personal setup, or or do you even own a fifteen already? I love fifteens actually. It's kind of really? been my thing in the, okay. in the past year. I I went on a hunt. I found um, what I get first. Actually, when I visited Ludwig years ago, a couple years ago. They had just made the uh, super light five by fifteen prototype, so they had those at the factory, and and they they had me take one home to review it. So I instantly that then that's a steel snare as well. I really okay. like that drum because you can with the fifteen you can kind of tune it to where it plays nice, but the tone is a lot deeper, so you can okay. get a much lower tone and still have it respond the way you want. So that drum was sure. great. So then I hunted down a five by fifteen. Uh, black magic which is like their cheap black beauty that's become like my my workhorse for gigging around town just a great drum so they sent these wow. two um and they're already part of my collection <laughs> <laughs> wait the two that they sent the buyers yeah yeah <laughs> you dirty little snare well here's the thing man you can get you can get <laughs> the four the- by 15 for 535 bucks mike I'm not your wife. You don't have to explain this to me. You do not have to justify it. It's all good. 500 I've... bucks for like some of the best. Sna- I mean, I'll give you a quote from, I actually used it on a session uh, just last week. I sent it to the guy and he immediately texted me back and said, dude, you made me sound great. This is the best drum sound I've ever heard. Wow. That was his reaction to the snare drum. Because nothing oh else goodness. has changed. The kid is exactly the same I used the week before for him. And it just wow. the snare drum just changed everything. Wow, man, that's really cool. Well, yeah. uh, I don't want to wait any longer. Let's hear these things. It's time for pick of the week. I'm gonna start over because I just smacked my lips. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it. Okay, so guys, what you don't know is Mike and I are trying really hard to improve this podcast every time, and we've noticed because we listen to it trying to make it better. That we are really bad at smacking our lips, and I always have the sniffles, and it must be driving you guys crazy, and we are so sorry. And so we just started Pick of the Week, which you won't hear, but Mike smacked his lips, so we had to start it over. So just know that we're doing everything we can to become professional, and and I know that you don't like when I start every sentence with, so, and Mike goes, I think... 
right, it's all staying in. Sorry, everybody. This is all. Sorry for all this tangent. It's in there. Uh, okay, pick of the week. Go for it, Mike. All right. So my pick of the week. <laughs> I'm going to like not close my mouth for the next ten minutes. Just keep my lips separated. <laughs> Oh, there's a there's old Cottonmouth Dawson <laughs> looking for some water. Hasn't closed his mouth in a decade. Lord have mercy, I'm trying to be serious. All right, you okay. stop smacking your lips. I'm getting endorsed by Kleenex. Let's go. All right, so because of David Bowie's passing, um, I decided that my pick of the week is going to be my favorite uh, incarnation of his uh, his career. Um, and I think it's also one of the often overlooked eras, which was the band Tin Machine. Uh, if if you haven't heard that band, see, I I kind of grew up in like we were talking about the kind of the late the late hardcore punk early alternative scene, so the whole glam stuff that he was doing in the sixties and seventies it just didn't resonate with me. I I lived through Guns N' Roses, which kind of annihilated the seriousness of glam music for me. So, but in the nineties, he came out with this badass rock and roll band called Tin Machine with Hunt Sales on drums, and it is raw, dirty, nasty, and some of the finest rock and roll drumming you'll ever hear. I mean, it's straight out of, it's like if John Bonham was born in in South, Southeast United States. It's got some gritty soul, but it's heavy. He's big drums, really cracking snare, simple beats. I mean, he's a powerhouse and he's intimidating to watch as well. You ever seen him play? No, never even heard of him. Yeah. Uh, YouTube hunt sales, any clip the dude is menacing he looks like a character out of like rocky horror picture show really like thin white kind of crazy hair really intense eyes almost hunchbacked and the dude crushes the drums he's wow. amazing i'm i'm gonna check him out yeah so tin machine david bowie's band from the the probably the early to mid 90s they only did a couple records so anything you find get it Nice. Very cool. Yeah, that guy was just the king of reinvention, man. I remember thinking I knew who David Bowie was, and then all of a sudden, you know, I had an image in my head of what David Bowie was, and then all of a sudden there's this thing that could easily fit on a Nine Inch Nails album. And I'm like, whoa, what the heck was that? You know, yeah. and then, then I go back in time because my mom says, oh, yeah, like Ziggy Stardust, you know, and I'm like, Ziggy, what? Yeah. And then I looked that, you know, I mean, this is back when I was a teenager, and it's like, Jesus, and the, what is it, the Thin White Duke? Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. he had so many incarnations of himself, and so definitely, you know, for anybody that's of our younger audience, if you love, you know, crazy art, if you're if you're a fan of Sia or Lady Gaga, you just need to know that those people don't exist without David Bowie. So we're very lucky to have him. And right now, I mean, we are in the most accepting time ever with social media and everything. People are very accepting of you being experimental. This dude was doing the Lady Gaga stuff in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, scaring crap out of people. Yeah. Yeah. Like, really it's, scaring I mean, people. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're not kidding. Like people were, <laughs> a lot of people locked their doors. No, I, I... Yeah, it was crazy. Well, that's awesome. So check that out. My pick of the week this time is Mr. Yost Nichols' book. It's called The Groove Book. Uh, have you seen it yet? Yeah, yeah, we reviewed it, and and we actually have a bunch of articles coming from him that are based on his whole concept. So the first one starts up in, I believe, the May issue. 
That's awesome. If you guys don't know who Yost Nickel is, you really need to check him out. He's kind of one of those unsung heroes that's he's far too busy to be kind of the drum guy in the drum scene because he's constantly touring in Germany um, and all over the world with his band Yandele and Disco Number no. One. One of my favorite people. We've been friends for quite a while now. And I really look up to Yost a lot. And, you know, we had this triple minor artist groove thing happening where in the same month, Yost Nickel released the Groove book. Benny Greb released the Art and Science of Groove, and I released the Groove Scribe app. So, and it was never talked about. And but we did eventually. I had to send everything to Benny. I sent my book to Benny. Like, hey, are we covering the same content here? And Benny was like, No, not at all. I, you're showing people how to physically play something. I'm going to show them how to make it sound good. Then I sent Yost the stuff and said, Are we covering the same concept? And it was. He was like, No, I'm. You're you're physically building their independence. I'm telling them how to orchestrate it around the drum set. Right, yeah. And that's really his book, if you haven't checked it out, it's really about, hey, don't move on to 20 or 30 new grooves every day. Stick on this one groove, but just just change it, change the orchestration, and it'll completely throw you off. By moving this one note to the bell of the ride symbol in this inverted parallel groove, it's, you're going to have to start over from scratch. And it really teaches you how to learn something in a deeper level. So I love the book. You know, you said Groove Scribe, but you meant Groove Freedom. I, dog, <laughs> you did that to me. <laughs> I know. Your I... little magazine did that to me. <laughs> yes, we released Groove Freedom. And groove, I think Groove is just the buzzword. We're all just trying to capitalize on it. You know, thanks, Steve Jordan. We got we got the memo after the John Mayer trio. We're all capitalizing on. We went from you know chops, chops, chops to groove, groove, groove. So I think I think my 2016 buzzword that I'll try to capitalize on will probably be dynamics. It'll dynamics. Be like the dynamic linear fill, the dynamic <laughs> groove concept, the dynamic head changing concept. You can only change your heads in this dynamic way. Dynamic tuning. <laughs> I got dogged out from some music school. So I have to tell the story because it's the weirdest thing that ever happened. So, I, you know, you were a part of the whole, I guess, journey of my career as an educator because we we were friends as I was building the online thing. And at some point, it was becoming successful but not accepted. You know, most teachers were like, ah, this online thing's never going to happen. Yeah. It's, it's a bad way to learn. So I get this call from a student of mine who was at a music school that will rename – remain nameless and it it wasn't a very big music school but anyways he said hey we had a class today and like you were one of the main topics and i was i was so honored i was like that's really cool and he's like well it wasn't positive and i was like oh okay and he's like yeah they put up a screenshot of your new pack your dynamic linear fill pack and i was like okay and he's like yeah they said it was just like dynamic was a buzzword to try to capture students attention and i was like well no it's not a buzzword it's a it actually describes the fact that these notes are not being played at the same volume. It's These are not monotone linear fills. There's accents and ghost notes, so they're <laughs> dynamic linear fills. And he said, like, the teacher went off on me for, like, ten minutes. <laughs> Just like, break. This, this is, like, five, six years ago. And so mm. I was like, oh, man. So I've always had this, like, really – this insane fear for using the word dynamic i'm like ah, oh, someone's gonna be mad at me for using this word but it's like dude it's the proper word to use at the proper time it had an you accent start dropping three- you gotta start dropping like batman kapows on your uh, promos for your videos <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> bam 
Kapow. Yeah. It's Kapow. Kapow. <laughs> so, well, uh, that being said, everyone, check out Yost Nichols' book because if he's using the word dynamic, it's because there's freaking changes in the volume. It's not because he's trying to sell you something. And it's a fantastic book. And, and the audio CD, he recorded it, so it's not like drum loops. It's, it's him playing the stuff. And the audio CD is very inspirational. Sometimes when you're looking at a bunch of white pages with black notes all over it you just kind of it just becomes mush to you and then that's when it's great to have the cd or the or the mp3 of it and just listen to a track and go okay whatever beat that was that is dope and then you look it up okay that's page 43 now because i've heard the i've seen the dessert i'm willing to eat my vegetables so definitely check it out yo snickles it's called yo snickles groove book all right everybody so those are our picks of the week mr dawson fly safe to los angeles california my friend Likewise, we'll see you. I guess we'll do a live, no editing. There won't be any audio next week, so we won't have time to drop anything in. It'll just be a straight hour sit down. I have no doubt that Nam will give us plenty of stuff to talk about. Yep. So, and, and we can definitely kind of walk the the floor and, and collect some questions from the crowd. But it's going to be a good time, so I'll, oh, I will see you there. You yeah, know, what's up? Uh, yeah, everyone should definitely make sure you're following Modern Drummer's Instagram and Twitter and Facebook feeds because we'll, I'll be doing – like probably every 10 minutes a shot of some cool gear that i come across so if you want to if you want to feel like you're walking the floor with us just just check that out every half hour you'll probably see at least five or six cool new things so and that's just at modern drummer on instagram i think it uh, instagram is either modern drummer or modern underscore drummer but you can find it if you just search for us you'll find us cool perfect sounds good all right buddy well i will see you there all right see you later (laughs) 